just do your job. Look at what's in front of you, do it, and then let go because you can't control the circumstances. And you also, and this was powerful for me, you can't control the results. You can only do, you know, it's like, you know, your mom used to tell you, but like, just do your best. But there really is a lot of truth in that. Just do what you can and then respond accordingly based on what happens. What can the Tao Te Ching teach us about communing with God? Can the Tao Te Ching help us through our deconstruction? These are all questions we discussed this week on The Reckless Pursuit. Our guest this week, Corey Farr, is the host of A Christian Reads the Tao Te Ching. In this episode, we explore what it means to go with the flow, how the Tao Te Ching helps us find balance in our lives, and how to stay fully present. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the answers. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, my name's Cody. My name is Elaine. And you're listening to The Reckless Pursuit, and this is episode 125. And today we're talking about Taoism. And uh, we finally learned how to pronounce that word kind the of, right way. Kind of, a little bit. Oh, man. Still so, learning. Yeah, Corey Farr is on. Uh, Corey, a really great conversation, honestly. Uh, Corey reached out to us via email uh, quite a few months ago, honestly. And we finally were able to coordinate. Mostly, we were able to finally figure out and sit down and get what back What we're doing with, with our lives. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, Corey was super patient. So thank you for that, Corey. And uh, yeah, and he came on and talked about his dive into learning the Tao Te Ching and what it taught him really about being a better Christian and how it helps through deconstruction, all of this. It's a really interesting thing. It's not something I honestly know very much about. Uh, that's just not an area that uh, either of us have really studied, I don't think, too. I don't think you have either, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So uh, it was really cool. I was I had actually, never heard of it until he reached out to us. Yeah, I, and I had heard of it vaguely, but it's just not something I had really looked into a whole lot. But now I'm super interested. And uh, Corey hosts a podcast where literally he reads the Tao Te Ching. He puts a lot of research into this podcast. Apparently, there's quite a few translations. He compiles a lot of this to uh, give his understanding as he reads through. It's just very interesting. The whole thing is very interesting. And I, I personally love uh, understanding different ways of life, different spiritual philosophies and things like that. And I loved hearing his parallels between Christianity and Taoism and just what we can take away from it. And so, I was going to say, honestly, this episode is just an introduction to oh, yeah, the Tao Te Ching. We, as you listen in the show, we actually talked about having him back on after we read it. Yes. So, so uh, yeah, here's your introduction to that. But of course, first and foremost, uh, we would love to have you join Nomads, a safe community for Christians to ask unsafe questions. If you have any questions about Taoism, Corey's actually in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's actually in Nomads, so you can actually reach out to us and him over in the group, which, of course, you can get the link to that in the show notes below. So you know what? Let's just get right into this conversation with Corey Farr from A Christian Reads the Tao Te Ching. We are talking with Corey Farr, podcast host of A Christian Reads, the Deo De Jing. How are yeah. you? I'm doing well. Um, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, kind of tired because I just flew here a few days ago from Lebanon, where I live and where I work. So I'm trying to get over that mm-hmm. jet lag, but, um, but doing well. Excited to be here. We're excited to have you and to finally get this nailed down. I know scheduling with us has been yes. a nightmare. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and Was it six months now? Yep. It's been way too long. <laughs> it's so, been a while. Um, I feel like ever since this year started, my mm-hmm. drive for all things has just kind of like fell to the floor. I don't know. Yeah. Like I've just like when it comes to podcasting and all that, uh, specifically for our stuff, I've went on like a learning hiatus. I don't know mm-hmm. what it's been. So like I'm trying <laughs> to pick up myself and get back together with all that. So thank you for being patient. Yes. <laughs> with us. No problem. Uh, and so uh, I guess real quick, um, what do you do in Lebanon? Uh, yeah. So I, um, the, the headline version, I moved there. I live at an orphanage um, slash school. So I live on campus. We have uh, 25 boys. Most of them, I think actually right now, all of them are from Syrian families. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Lebanon has a huge refugee crisis. They have the highest you know, refugee to population ratio in the world. And so there's a lot of need. So I live there. I help out with the boys and um, we have a school grades K through six. So I teach English for grade four there. And again, all of the students are mostly Syrian, some Kurdish, a few Lebanese, but all of them coming from extreme poverty and trauma and things like that. Interesting. What is the primary, um, I guess, like religious background um, uh, amongst the children at the orphanage? Uh, so the kids are, as far as I know, all of them, I want to say maybe one or two of them out of the hundred kids in the school are coming from a Christian background, but they're all uh, from a Muslim families. Most of them are non-practicing and uh, or not very devout because we're very openly an evangelical organization and the parents are like fine with sending their kids there. You know, we have chapels and Bible verses and stuff. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. And what kind of drew you yeah, to go to Yeah, I was going to say Lebanon? what led you there. <laughs> I could never have seen it coming. Let's put it that way. I, uh, I went to seminary in Illinois. I went to Northern Seminary, studied with guys like Scott McKnight and David Fitch. Uh, my original intention going to seminary was to pursue like a PhD track. Um, and then it kind of changed. I wasn't quite sure, but it was definitely never to work with traumatized children. Uh, but my last semester of my MDiv, I had to do this internship and I was working with a refugee organization in Indiana. So pretty close to where I lived. And um, they asked me to go on a trip with them to Lebanon. And I had never really known anything about Lebanon. I know it's this tiny country in the Middle East, but they said, um, because there's a lot less refugees in the States right now due to a lot of politics and things like that, they wanted to go to Lebanon and find an organization to financially partner with. And so they invited me to go on this trip, which was basically a business trip. And I was like, I have no desire to go on this really. It was, um, it was right after I graduated from seminary. Um, but I convinced my professor to let me get 50% of my internship hours from this one trip. And so that was, <laughs> that was motivation enough. For sure. So I got kind of dragged along. I, I actually, I drove to the airport from my graduation ceremony, which was not ideal. Um, we got, we got there, we're exhausted. And then literally the next morning, the first day in the country, we went to visit our first of four organizations we were meeting with. And all we knew was that it was an orphanage. We didn't even know it was a school. Someone had told us to go check it out, but we didn't know anything about it. So we drive up, it's like seven in the morning, we're exhausted. And the director pulls us into the office in the front of the, the, the uh, compound. She starts talking to us about, um, actually, she puts some coffee on and then she starts talking to us about the, the organization. And the coffee thing's important because before the coffee was even finished, and I know this because I, I realized it when she, got, when she went to get the coffee, I felt this overwhelming communication from God. I just felt in the deepest part of my being, it's, you know, you have those moments and I've had them a few times in my life, but I felt God say, this is where you're supposed to be. And I was like, uh, what? Like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't even want to be here today. Yeah. Right. I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah. And it was just one of those, you know, I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what it meant. Um, but I felt it very strongly. And, uh, so I remember looking at the other two guys when she was getting the coffee, I said, crap, and they had been missionaries for a long, long time in foreign countries. They were like, what are you talking? You know, did you forget something? I said, now I'm pretty sure God just called me to live here. And they're like, okay, slow down, Corey. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? We just got here. We've been 12 hours in the country. So the next uh, six to eight months was a process of exploring that. I came back for a month in January and very much confirmed uh, that's where I wanted to be. So um, uh, yeah, in September, the very end of September in 2020, after a grueling process of legal stuff and visa stuff, um, I moved there and I've been there for 10 months now. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm in the States for six weeks this summer. Mm -hmm. That's Very awesome. Cool. How does, I, so you write about the Dao De Jing and that is your, I guess, is that your passion? How does this all tie together? I'm just, I'm like, curious. What inspired this, you this, to yeah. learn from it? How did you learn about it? Yeah, yeah. So not the most common thing for an evangelical to be writing about, you know, yin yang and Tao Te Ching. But um, actually, like I just said, it was a it was a really hard process to get to Lebanon. Uh, we had I had gotten fundraised, you know, fully funded in a very short time, which I mean, my organization was blown away. I was blown away. I mean, it was miraculous that I had gotten funded quicker than anyone else had before. Um, and so we were ready to meet for me to fly over there. And um, waiting for my visa. And then I think it was, it was less than a week before I was supposed to get on my flight. I got a call saying, um, 
hey, we didn't get your, your residency visa. You can't go. And I was like, you know what? I don't have a job now. I don't have like, I, I was so ready. You know, I was so ready. I had done my going away party. I had cried with everyone. And then it's like, just kidding. You're not going. So, you know, that was surprising. And I moved in to my friend's basement because I didn't have a place to live. And they said, hey, we're going to push back the flight uh, three weeks, I think it was. So I was like, okay, you know what? There's an end in sight. Waited three weeks. Um, and then that next time, I think it was three days before I was supposed to get on the flight. They said, and I, I did not know this was coming. They said, hey, we still don't have a visa. You can't go. And I was like, what is going on? So then they put the the flight on hold. They said, we're, we're going to wait and see what happens. After maybe another, let's see, it had been three. It was at least another two weeks. I think the whole process was about two months. They said, hey, look, this visa still hasn't come through. We've been following up with them. The thing about the Lebanese government is they're corrupt and they're inefficient. They're probably not going to decline your visa. They're just not going to process it. So what we need to do is withdraw your visa and apply again next year. You know, I was devastated. I knew these kids. I loved these kids. And the organization was like, hey, let's start talking about reassigning you to Kenya because they have an orphanage in Kenya. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'll go wherever the need is. But I was devastated. Um, so during that time, I had a lot of free time. I was doing a lot of reading. Um, I read through, uh, you know, all of Harry Potter, which mm-hmm. I've read since I was mm-hmm. a kid and like all these fun books. But I, I remembered hearing, I think it was Richard Rohr, someone, maybe it was uh, uh, Michael Gunger. It seems like a Michael Gunger thing, but he had mentioned the Tao Te Ching. I just remember what I had heard about it sounded really interesting. So I went online and I looked up a translation of it and, uh, It's a pretty short book, but I started reading and it was just blowing my mind. So I read the whole book in one sitting. Granted, it's it's pretty, pretty short. So it maybe took me an hour, hour and a half, but I couldn't stop reading. Um, And just in this book, I found this, you know, it's this ancient Chinese book of wisdom and spirituality. And it's not focused on any religion. It's not focused on any sort of belief system. What it's focused on is sort of healthy spirituality. And so it's talking about you know, recognizing the, um, the ambiguous nature, the non-dualistic thinking of life, letting go of your desires or holding your desires loosely so that you can go with the flow. I mean, go with the flow is a very accurate um, sort of, you know, headline version of the Tao Te Ching is learning to go with the flow. Not that that means not doing anything or being lazy, sort of reacting um, or not reacting, reacting, uh, responding appropriately to circumstances. And so given the situation I was in, I mean, this was, was mind-blowing. It just came along at just the right time. And so I found it breathing life into my, my Christian faith, you know? And so th- that's where the idea of the podcast came from is, um, well, actually, let's hold that because the podcast idea came along a lot later, but um, I was just, I was blown away. And so I found myself just diving into this book um, and, and really just devouring it. And, uh, and, you know, the tagline for the podcast is, uh, you know, this book didn't draw me away from a Christ-centered faith, but it actually helped me hold on to it during a very, very dark time, a very hard time. That's very interesting. So whenever you tell people that this is what your podcast is about, this is what uh, has inspired your Christian faith, what's some of the reactions you get to that? Are people open about the that? Does it freak factor. them out? <laughs> um, so it's actually, you, you had mentioned how quarantine took away a lot of um, you know, just the motivation yeah. and, and ability to work. Um, so for me, actually living in a foreign country and having my job kind of put on hold and everything, the podcast started, actually started right after Christmas break and a couple months before Corona started. But I've been able to do a huge amount of work on the podcast since quarantine started. And because the evangelical community in Lebanon is hyper conservative and very much, you know, it feels like a Hopefully none of them are listening, but it feels, feels like uh, uh, evangelicalism from like the 50s in America, sort of a fundamentalism. So I don't really talk with them about it. I don't see much of a reason to. The main people I've talked with about it have been a lot of my friends in the U.S. who are going through deconstruction as well. And, uh, and so they're very open to it. They're a little bit surprised, you know, to see the, the logo for the show is um, a yin yang symbol with uh, the Chinese character for Tao or Tao, as some people say, and then a cross on the other side. And it's, um, I think it has a little bit of a shock factor, but I've actually been very surprised at how well it's been received. And then 
I think a lot of people, my conservative friends who I thought would be up in arms, they just don't comment. So I have no idea what their response yeah. really is. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very much a, a niche topic and I know it's not going to speak to everyone, but I always try to qualify that this is not in any way contradictory to any core Christian doctrines. It's purely, you know, if you can read a self-help book as a Christian in the U.S. and take something out of it, in my mind, you can read the Tao Te Ching. You know, it's a little bit of anachronistic to call it a self-help book, but you know, it's that's essentially what it can boil down to in some ways. What are some of the parallels that you've seen within Christianity and the Tao Te Ching, um, and and anything that kind of overlaps, or is it just being able to take two different schools of thought and blending them together? Like, what is it? about it that strengthened your relationship with God? Well, let me think. There's a couple, I mean, there's many things and sometimes you got to dive deep, but uh, the very first chapter of the book, if, you, if you've studied it, the very, very famous opening line, it says, um, the Tao that can be told. Actually, let me qualify this first. The word Tao simply means way. That's all it means. It's way. So sometimes people will think of it as like, you know, a word for a God or something. It's it's just way, the the way of the universe or and because it's the way of the universe, it's the way that we are to live. Again, that idea of going with the flow. But there's this incredible mystery behind it. So the, the chapter starts, it says, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. The unnameable is the eternally real, but naming is the origin of all particular things. And there's a lot of good stuff. Maybe we can get to that later. But so this idea of, you know, it makes me think of apophatic theology, the idea that in contrast to a lot of Western theology, which is cataphatic, it says, hey, here's what we can objectively say about God. Here's our systematic theology. But in the East, the Christian church has long talked about apophatic theology. We can really only know God as mystery, the holy other and yet he is, in some sense, with us in Christ. But he's, he's holy other. In many ways, we can only say what God is not. He's not like any categories that we have, you know, any epistemological categories, any, anything like that. And so Lao Tzu, the author of the, the Tao Te Ching, was not a Christian. I mean, he's 500 years before Christ. But he's saying this idea of the Tao, the way of the universe. If you can talk about it, if you, could, if you can name it, if you can describe it, that is not it. And so that just kind of resonated with me. And then he goes on to say that when we name things, it's important, it's necessary, but that is the origin of our categories. That's the origin of, of labeling and categorizing. And that then leads us into creating desires. Um, and this is a really central theme to both uh, the Tao Te Ching and to, I believe, Jesus's teaching, is this idea of letting go of your desires, or maybe not letting go of them entirely, but holding them loosely, being open to follow the leading of the spirit or of the Tao or whatever you want to call it. There's quite a few Christian authors who've written about the Tao being parallel to the Holy Spirit. And so continuing that chapter, the next line after this idea of naming being the origin of all particular things, he says, if you're free from desire, then you realize the mystery. But if you're caught up in desire, you only see the manifestations. And so this idea of manifestations being, again, like the categories that we construct, it's the things that we say and label. And so this, that, I mean, it was in chapter one that this just really mm -hmm. caught mm -hmm. my attention because I was in this place where I really had to hold my desires loosely. I had no idea what was coming next. And so the fact that this Chinese sage, you know, 2,500 years ago had caught onto this, you know, I think that Maybe it may not be as clear in this chapter, but throughout the book, you see these, he has these glimpses into the nature of the divine. And I would say that you know, he doesn't know Christ and he doesn't have Christian theology, but there are things that ring so true, not just to the human experience, but to healthy spirituality that it, one of the questions that comes up for me frequently is how much was he hearing from God or in touch with God? You know, if we believe that God can speak and reveal himself um, in any way he chooses, uh, it's it's an interesting question to ask. But that's sort of a theological rabbit hole that, <laughs> that can yeah. take us a long way. Sure, um, and, and I love that because my next question was actually going to be how do they parallel to deconstruction? But I think you actually kind of touched on it, just opening up with that initial that initial line of you know I, a lot of times with the shift in faith, it really is that it's wait all these things I thought I knew about God I don't. And I feel like that's the one of the catalyst moments. It could be about hell. It could be about uh, you know something more like church or 
uh, I don't know, even speaking in tongue, whatever this initial thing is, it's like, wait, I don't think I actually know all the things that I thought I knew about this. And then it all kind of yeah. starts to unravel. Right. And I, I really feel like that's kind of the epitome of what you're talking about in a way. So I guess I don't really have to ask that question because you kind of answered that. But I, I think that is actually a, a great resource. Let me ask you this. Have you been through any kind and I, I assume most of us have, but have you been through any kind of deconstruction or changing of your faith? And yeah. And and I, I just a little bit of backstory, maybe what led to that, if you have. Oof, have I been through it? I don't. <laughs> I think I'm still through it. You know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I was just writing another episode last night and talking about. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm getting more and more lost in deconstruction, and um, I don't use that in a negative way. I think that you have to get sort of lost in deconstruction and continue pressing into that to find the truth on the other side. I think you know, there's the temptation maybe not temptation, but there's the option to just backtrack and sort of just go back to where you were and accept that. And I don't, I don't want to say that's wrong. Um, but for me growing up in a very conservative evangelical slash Pentecostal environment, um, being around speaking in tongues and faith healing from the time I was very young, uh, seems to be a common story among those going through deconstruction. Um, and then sort of going to seminary, which was, um, an evangelical seminary, but relatively progressive in terms of racism and women in ministry and things like that, you know, and studying with Scott McKnight, a lot of these, uh, you know, I've, I found myself on this journey of deconstruction and really just going back to wrestle with some of the basics mm -hmm. and then continuing to explore, um, like I'm doing with the Tao Te Ching, how new, how new things, how new sources can inform that. Uh, the metaphor that I use quite frequently is that spiritual journey is, uh, our spiritual journeys is like a spiral or like a helix. So, you know, if you picture the, the double helix of, of DNA, our faith or our journeys are cyclical. We come, at least for me, I don't know about you, but I come back around and around again, I feel like to the same issues. And so if we just look at that, you know, at that helix from two-dimensional view from the top of it, then it looks like we're just going around in circles. But if we step back, I think that there's a sense in which there's a progression there. Every time we come back around to those issues, if we remember where we came from, there's a, a digging deeper or coming deeper, or if you want to look at it from the other direction, um, a, a climbing higher, you know? And so I, I say that our spiritual journeys are both cyclical and progressive. You know, there's this linear element of I'm moving forward, but then there's also this kind of coming back around. And I, I really hate the phrase, uh, one step forward to, or whatever, two steps forward, one step back. I feel like that's kind of demeaning to your journey. Um, but I think that metaphor captures the same idea in some sense, um, but in a more constructive way or positive outlook. And for me, I feel like through deconstruction, anytime I feel like I found an answer, I am met with so many other questions, even if it's the same thing, like you were talking about going around and around the same topics. And I feel like the more that I press in, the more that I learn, the less I actually know. And so like, I 100% agree with all of that. Yeah. And then again, you know, the, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. And so the questions are good is what I've come to learn. And I don't want to, when I say that, it sounds like I've got it all figured out. Trust me, I don't. But the place I've had to come to is these questions are good if you're pursuing truth. Yeah. You know, doubt for the sake of doubt, just kind of sitting in that, I think is, I don't want to demean it, but think it could be the lazy option. But if you're committed to pursuing truth, then those doubts are acceptable. Those doubts are okay. God can God can handle those. I mean, read the Psalms. Like God can handle your doubt as long as you are committed to pursuing truth. And sometimes that looks blasphemous to people around you, you know, like, but it's it's I don't think it's about that at all. Have you ever been met with any pushback for either deconstruction or the Tao Te Ching, any of that? Have you ever been met with anybody? I, I know you said that you talk with your friends and some of them don't really say a whole lot about it, but have you ever had anyone online for your podcast or your blog say, you're wrong, this is wrong, I hate this, like, what are you talking about? Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, <laughs> not as much about the podcast. I feel like a lot of people are just like, they don't even know what to do with it yeah. because I... I have said like, hey, if you think this is wrong, it's not, but you know, here's why. But I think they're just, it's just so foreign to them that they don't even want to comment, which is actually a nice change for once because it hasn't stopped people before on social media yeah, from commenting sure. on things they're ignorant about. 
by the way, side note, I use ignorant in a very descriptive way. I think one thing our world needs to learn is ignorance is not a bad thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ignorance literally just means you don't know something. And there's a lot you can do about that. But anyway, that's a side note. But um, I have received plenty of pushback on all kinds of other things for a long time now. Um, I had a long, long, long text conversation with someone a couple months ago. I posted an article about, I called it, I don't believe in hell. Does that mean I'm going there? Mm-hmm. And sort of the, the catchy title was, it was basically taking a position of annihilationism that I don't believe that this eternal thing that I was taught is actually anywhere in the Bible. And But then my question was, why then has this become a core doctrine of our faith? I've worked for multiple evangelical institutions and all of their statements of faith include eternal conscious suffering as part of their non-negotiable doctrines. And so my question was, if I don't believe this and it's in your statement of faith, does that mean you think I'm going to hell? I mean, and, uh, and it was just sort of a thought-provoking um, title, I hoped. Uh, but this guy, he just uh, really, really, really was like, here's hell in the Bible. Here's hell. Here's hell. And you, know, you need to believe this. It's so important. And I'm like, dude, like, even if you're right, it's not so important. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. If, if your view of hell is the thing that compels your view of the gospel, then I'm not sure that that's the gospel, you know, like, you know, if, if the bad news is the foundation of the good news, then it's not good news, I think. Well, yeah. And I mean, to me, that's like the epitome of like say, Satanism. I don't know. <laughs> like you're focused so heartedly on the bad. Like I thought the epitome of the gospel was, hey, God is good. Like there's redemption life. life. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, mm. that, that was one of that was actually one of my big points in kind of deconstructing or uh, maybe not full on deconstructing, but at least like kind of coming to learn God for myself versus mm-hmm. what just what I've been taught about him is like, hey, actually, you know, even if hell is real, that shouldn't even be a conversation because like fear tactics are the last thing you want. I don't think anyone yeah. wants to get up to heaven and be like, I'm here because I was scared to death to burn forever. I don't mm-hmm. think that's just going to be the thing that gets you into gets you into heaven and out of hell. Like that's just such a, a sad, I don't well, know. What, go ahead. Well, I was going to say some of the pushback that we get is that sometimes we've spoken to people online saying that we, um, generally speaking, um, quotation Christians, church, whatever, we focus too much on sin or we focus too much on hell. And they're like, well, you have to talk about about the bad to talk about the good. And I'm like, okay, but we focus too much on the bad. And they just like, it's, just, I, I feel like it's a never ending argument. And I'm like, well, that that's fine. Yes. Like we need to acknowledge, you know, sin or acknowledge the bad. But let's let life be like the—I I don't want fear to take a hold of all the conversations. Like, I want it to be life. I want it to be peaceful and joy and all of that. And I, I feel like that's one of the biggest things that we get is, like, well, just that argument of, like, well, you have to have it. And I'm like, okay, but we focus too much on it and trying to shift the narrative, shift the conversation less about the destructive things and more about the constructive things. The and that actually things. like leads me to a question. What does, um, I guess I am ignorant when it comes to the Tao Te Ching. I just learned how to halfway pronounce yeah. it <laughs> before we started <laughs> this. So yeah. I'm sure we've butchered it numerous times already. So, uh, what does, uh, well. thank you. What does the Tao Te Ching <laughs> take approach as far as does it talk anything about bad or negative? What are some of the I guess some of the approaches it takes versus positive and forward progress. Mm. Um, so, I mean, like the idea of sin or anything like that is not really a concept in the Tao Te Ching. Uh, the closest that you can get is disturbing the Tao, disturbing. And again, the Tao would be the way it's the natural order of things. I like to think of it as original Eden, although it's not, it's not a place, but it's this idea of, of the, the, the way of the universe. And so if we're disturbing that or we're fighting against that, that would be negative. If you remember, I said going with the flow, I would say is kind of the best way to sum up the Tao Te Ching. And I think you can hear that and then just think of living in a broken world and just kind of being like, oh, I'm just going to go with the flow, man. Like, I'm just going to do whatever everyone else is doing. And that's not what I mean or what Tao Te Ching means, uh, what the Tao Te Ching means by that. There's a sense in which jumping into the river of, uh, of the Tao. Or, and, and for me, that's kind of a, a beautiful metaphor for working with the Holy Spirit. You know, we're partnering with him. We're not even partnering. We're just getting caught up in what, uh, I shouldn't say him, what, what he, she, mm-hmm. uh, the it, non-binary God existence of God, yes. Oh my gosh, you know, I'm so passionate <laughs> about that. And I always make the mistake. I just, I'm always going to be like, no, no, not he, but 
but also he is okay. Yes. It's our upbringing. I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so this is going a little bit away from your question, but one of the most profound metaphors in the Tao Te Ching, it comes up several times, but there's two chapters that really focus on it, is water and being like water. And so chapter eight says, the supreme good is like water, which nourishes all things without even trying to. It is content with the low places that people disdain or that people are afraid to go to, as another translation says. And therefore, it is like the Tao. And so it's this idea, we have to be like water. And so water is, there's another chapter, it says water is the weakest force. It's the most yielding and forgiving and moldable of things. And yet it has the strength to overcome the hardest things. It, it can wear down mountains and rocks. It can, you know, it's the universal solvent. It can take everything, you know, it's the, so in that sense, it's the strongest thing in the world. And yet it's the weakest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. and, and if that doesn't, you know, call to mind any Christian yeah. theology, for right, you, then, right. you know, I don't know what you've been reading. And so from that, I mean, that metaphor for me is so powerful. Um, and then, you know, he says, because of that, it goes to the low places. Again, you know, he wasn't writing about Christ, but for me, you know, Christ is stepping to the lowest yeah. places mm -hmm. that the people don't strong. want yep. to go. You know, the only times, unless he was talking to the elite and the establishment, the only times he was, I don't want to say only time because someone will call me out on this and bring up an exception. But the main times I'm thinking of him talking about sin is after he has stooped down, you know, think of the woman in adultery or the woman at the First of all, just associating with these women, especially you know, an adulteress and a Samaritan, was it was problematic enough. But he's talking with them; he's being with them. It's only after he's shown solidarity with them that he then will address, you know, go and sin no more. He said to the woman in adultery, or you know, you don't have one husband; you have all these husbands. Uh, you know, you're an adulteress. And so, going back to what we were saying, you know, unless he's talking to the oppress uh, the oppressive establishment, he's always leaving the sin conversation for later. And in that sense, it's kind of like water. And so Lao Tzu's advice after observing that, I, I don't think he talks about sin. I think he talks about living a holy life. He wouldn't use that word. But so after discussing water, he says, in, in dwelling, live close to the ground. In thinking, keep to the simple. In conflict, be fair and generous. In governing, which could be read as governing a country or governing your life, don't try to control. In your work, do what you enjoy, um, which I don't know that a lot of us have a choice about that, but we can you know, choose to enjoy what we're doing and find joy in that. And then, uh, and this is my favorite, he says, in life, be completely present. And so that's really sort of the, the corollary to going with the flow is being present. And that for me, I think for many deconstructionists has been such a powerful word, mm -hmm. this idea of learning to be present to yourself and your doubts, and then learning to be present as Jesus was to the sinners around you, which even that word sounds very condescending, but be present to those around you. And so what I see in the Tao Te Ching, circling back around to your question is sin doesn't even come into the picture. What comes into the picture is, hey, you're, you are, I guess, falling short, which some people would say is the meaning of sin, but he looks at it as you're falling short of this ideal. And the goal is to shoot for the ideal, not to target eliminating the, the quote unquote sin from your life. I don't know if, I don't know if that was a good, that was a way round. No, no, I like it. I have some, I want to come back to you on that after you have whatever you have. Yeah. I was going to ask you, um, how do you get present? How, how do you stay in the moment? How do you go with the flow? What does that look like for you? Um, I mean, quarantine has been a great example of that. Well, first of all, so I would say over the last five years or so, um, I've been, it's been a process of learning this. I can't tell you how much of a process it's been, uh, but moving to seminary and having it be a total disappointment and uh, just so many things I was expecting not being that way. And so it took me a long time to, you know, I went through a pretty um, a period of pretty dark depression. And part of it was because I wasn't present to what was in front of me. And so learning to accept that and work with it and, and not just like find the good and be, you know, falsely optimistic, but looking for, Hey, what, you know, I cannot control the circumstances. The only thing I could control is how I respond. And so that um, for me is a very much a summary of being present, going through seminary that happened. And then I went through a whole lot of other experiences, but moving to Lebanon kind of holding those expectations loosely 
was a great idea because many things did not meet my expectations or were not what I was expecting. And then, you know, uh, six weeks after I got to Lebanon, a revolution started in the country. They tried to overthrow the government. So there's nationwide protests and tires being burned and schools were canceled and then they were not canceled and then they were canceled. And sometimes it was 11 o'clock at night before we would know if there was school the next day. So I was kind of forced to be present because if I didn't, I would have a nervous breakdown. And so that was a great, weird experience for my first year, first few months as a quote unquote missionary. And then by the time Corona hit and all the quarantine stuff came about, I feel like I've been so much learning this truth that I was able to say, okay, you know what? All the boys just left the orphanage to be with their extended families because we're in total lockdown. And three and a half months of no one being here other than the the handful of staff who I love, but can be difficult to connect with for me because of the culture difference. And so I have learned to just be fully present and throw myself into the moment and say, you know what, this is a great time to work on blogging and podcasting and connecting with friends and people. And so language learning, I'm learning Arabic and French. And so throwing myself into that. French is the second official language of Lebanon. It's not just a random choice there, but uh, so be taking advantage of those opportunities. Wait, there was something else I was going to say about that, but I think, you know, that's, that's what being present kind of boils down to is just, I can't control these circumstances. The only thing I can control is my response to them. And that doesn't mean I can control my emotions. My emotions are, you know, biochemical reactions to situations. So I can't even control my emotions, but I can control what I choose to do with them. And that is presence. Yeah. Just curious that sounds um, like you're saying the disconnect there. It's a lot of people are isolated right now. And this sounds like something you've experienced uh, maybe a little more so than most of us here in the States. <laughs> so uh, I know most of us, when we get alone or we feel alone or we feel disconnected, I know this happens through deconstruction. It happens through, you know, through quarantine. It happens from a lot of different things. We feel like we're going crazy uh, because being alone with our thoughts is like hell on earth for a lot of us. Uh, what's just um, maybe a few tips, uh, not trying to, you know, exalt you as like the almighty professional on this, but just as like no human to human, what's some, uh, a few tips that you've been able to kind of help be present and not go stir crazy, stir crazy in another country with a, with a cultural disconnect and all of that. Let me think about that for a second. You're good. While you're thinking of it, I'm actually going to circle back because I, I just wanted to touch on something from the conversation earlier. I think about the, the term grieving the spirit. And I love how you were doing the comparison of it's almost like going against the current because so many times I think we view sin as if it's this, um, you've done this terrible thing, now you're a terrible person and we forget that it's missing the mark. Well, what do you do when you miss the mark? You readjust, you re-aim, you know, it's, it could be just a little bit off. It's not like you're way off in left field. And even if you are, it's just a readjustment of where you're turning your focus. Mm -hmm. And then that whole thing of like pushing against the water, we think of grieving the spirit as like, oh, we've just made the Holy Spirit so sad, but you're talking about how uh, uh, the the Tao and how the Holy Spirit have a lot of similarities or kind of tapping into maybe even an understanding of the same force. I really like that. It's grieving the Spirit is, is more like kind of pushing against the flow. It's not that you are uh, making God mad at you as much as it's like he wants to carry you a direction. You're fighting against that. And there's there's this more free path. I don't know. I just, I really liked that connection to water. I really like the analogy of water in general. So I wanted to circle back to that and throw that in uh, before we went too far off from that, even though we kind of already have, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's well. that's what I love about the TTC is, uh, you know, you can uh, working on an episode recently, I found one thread of meaning in a chapter and I just followed it to its, to where it took me. And it was so far away from the chapter itself, but uh so that's kind of that's kind of the way the book works, I think. But um, you know, I don't know. Regarding practical tips, it's always funny when someone asks you, like, "Hey, what's a practical tip?" And you're kind of like, uh. "No idea." <laughs> you're like, "This this has really changed my life, but it's a mindset shift, you know." And it's you can't always force a mindset shift. Chapter thirty eight says the master or the wise person doesn't try to be powerful; therefore, he's truly powerful. But the ordinary man keeps reaching for power unless he ha he never has enough. Uh, the master does nothing, and yet he leaves nothing undone. The ordinary man is always doing things, and therefore many more are left to be done. The idea of letting go of desire or refusing to set an agenda, 
And I realized that you can take these things and you can take them out of context and say, oh, sure. okay, so you don't believe in the gospel, you know, whatever, but like, you know, give me the, give me grace, give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm talking about your daily life kind of things here, but refusing to hold on to your expectations and your agenda, but kind of opening your eyes, you know, thinking back to that idea of naming, when we name, when we categorize, we set ourselves up for disappointment. And so kind of working very hard, you can't just get rid of your expectations. But one thing we talked about in missionary training a lot, which was funny is because this was so Taoist and yet they were not, you know, they were not drawing it from that whatsoever. But you need to learn to examine your expectations, not just like say, okay, I need to get rid of these because you can't really do that. But to examine them, what I am, am I expecting? Why am I expecting it? How can I hold it more loosely? What will I do if the exact opposite of my expectations happens? I used to be very pessimistic, but I think I've grown. I think extreme pessimism can be not a great thing. But I, I, I have learned to expect the worst. And what I mean by that is, let's put it this way, plan for the worst. Not to expect the worst in the sense of this is what's going to happen. You know, whoa, it's me. Because that's just another form of expectations. Um, so let me change that word. Not expect the worst, but prepare for the worst. So when someone comes to me with something or I'm entering into a situation, I sit there in my mind, whether I have a couple of days or five minutes, and I say, okay, what, what will I do if the worst thing here happens? You know, I, I had a situation, actually, it's kind of a sensitive situation. Let me not share that. Um, but, but there was a time where some people came to me with, they said, hey, we're having a really hard time in our relationship. We need to talk to you. And so I had fully prepared myself for the worst things that could have happened. You know, they're, they're younger people in a conservative environment, not married. And so I was like, you know, okay, she's pregnant. Like, what am I going to do if she's pregnant? What am I going to do if this like, and so then by preparing yourself for that, you are ready to be fully present because you've already in your mind considered, okay, if everything of my expectations is completely, you know, if all my expectations are totally unmet, if if this situation is the last thing I would have wanted, how can I then be present in that and be a counseling? We, in the counseling class, we talked a lot about being a non-anxious presence or a presence of peace. And that, to me, that's kind of a, a great definition of presence when you're talking about how it affects other people. And it's contagious, really, if you can be that non-anxious presence. So I don't know that that's a totally practical tip, but I think it's a mindset shift more than anything. Absolutely. Well, and I really like that because I've shared this on the on the show before, but just sharing with you, like, uh, I, anxiety is is kind of my, I guess, thing that I have had to deal with in life. Like, you know, panic attacks, all of that kind of thing. I'm an overthinker, and so like I get caught up in mm -hmm. the worst case scenario, and so my whole process to that or like our western view of the, i don't know if it's a western I, I assume it is because i had been told like uh by professionals and all this like you need to address your thoughts you need to address this sin in your life you need to address this these things uh and get them out because they're polluting your water so to speak you know what i mean like and so i would obsess over them i would obsess over all of these thoughts as like okay well what about this what about that what am i going to do for this to where it was actually driving me nuts but then I had someone tell me something that she had learned, and she's a trained psychologist as well, but she actually abandoned a lot of her old teaching to take this new style, and she's like, just allow it to flow. You're going to have those thoughts. There's nothing wrong. It's like, well, could you possibly end up in this situation? I could, and it's as simple as that. And then you're prepared. You're mentally aware, but you're not holding on to these things anymore. Just allow it, it to flow through. That kind of goes back to the water analogy, fighting against the current uh, uh, versus letting it flow. And I, I kind of see a, a parallel there, there too of what you just said is like, there's nothing wrong with having the thoughts of this could be what we're talking about here. As long as that's not like this asphyxiation where it pulls you out of the present. Mm -hmm. well, and I feel like the opposite could be true because if you're oblivious and like you don't think about that and then you're not prepared, you don't know how to be present. So I feel like there is that balance of you need to acknowledge what could go wrong, but not uh, be so fixated on what could go wrong because then you're just causing yourself even extra grief that you may not even need it in the first place. You know, we, we talk a lot about like take control of your thoughts. But kind of like what you were saying, a lot of our thoughts are reactionary, you know, firings of our brain. Like we can't necessarily control all of our thoughts. We can dictate our atmosphere. We can dictate what we consume to help balance our thoughts. But over time, you know, 
kind of like our dreams. You can't control a lot of what you, I mean, I guess some people would argue you could, but I can't, <laughs> I'm not trained <laughs> enough to do that. Uh, so like, I, I just, I think that there's, there's beauty in that, in letting, uh, in being prepared and allowing thoughts to come, but also realizing this is coming to center me, uh, to make me present, not to do, I guess, like in my side, I like kind of just being selfish and taking into my life. Don't allow that to be something that wisps you away. Allow it to be something that allows you to be present. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, I went on a tangent there, but I just. <laughs> no, no, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so true. I mean, everything you're saying, I'm just like, yes and amen, you know. And, um, you know, it's making me think of this quote that's kind of related uh, from a commentary on the Jing, actually, where he says, uh, his name's uh, Benjamin Oliver. Or Oliver Benjamin. I always mix it up because Benjamin feels like a first name and Oliver feels like a last name. But so for like the first like 12 episodes, I was saying Benjamin Oliver. And then I found out his name's Oliver Benjamin. So uh, Oliver Benjamin, great guy, says, rather than feel pressured to do things, Taoists merely get up in the morning and see where the day might take them. This does not result in torpor, which I will confess I had to look that word up, torpor, T-O-R-P-O-R. It means a state of physical or mental inactivity or uh, being lethargic. So this does not result in that, in being inactive or lethargic, but rather it's the opposite. He says it results in a passionate and committed engagement with all of the world's possibilities. And that's just like, I mean, to me, that's beautiful. This idea of going the flow, like, like you're saying, you know, this this um, not focusing so much on every you know issue and how I can fix it and what I can do, but letting the day take you where it takes you, being where you are, which actually gives you this, you can be passionately committed. You can throw yourself into whatever job is in front of you, whatever task is in front of you, and then let go of the results and the expectations, which uh, if I can read from another chapter that really touches on this, you know, what you were talking about is it was really making me think of overreaching. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You've got these issues and you're trying to be where you're not, even in your process, your journey of dealing with them. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's one thing about being aware of the, I mean, I'm not trying to counsel you, please. Don't <laughs> no, like, I'm, I'm open for it. You're good. <laughs> so, but like this idea of like not being able to see the next step you have to take because you're thinking of 10 steps down the road. Yeah, that's my life. Uh, chapter 24. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like with my experiences, I have been forced to give that up, to stop trying to be where I'm not, because I don't, you know, I don't have the ability ability to think 10 steps down the road. You know, even if I knew, even if without Corona and all this stuff, the whole situation I'm in is totally new to me. And so if I want to be where I'm not, I think of chapter 24, uh, and this maybe will speak to you as well, but he says, uh, the one who stands on tiptoes does not stand firm. The one who rushes ahead doesn't go far. The one who tries to shine dims his own light. And don't take that in a theological context, but you know, the one who's trying to shine dims his own light. The one who, I love this, the one who defines himself can't know who he really is. Uh, the one who has power over others cannot empower himself. The one who clings to his work will create nothing that endures if you want to accord with the Tao, just do your job and then let go. And uh, I realize there's a lot of he's and him's in there, but that's a, an older translation. Uh, but to me, that's just so powerful. You know, don't stand on tiptoe. Don't run ahead of where you are. Don't try so hard to shine and to define yourself that you end up you know, being counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you, you know, just do your job, look at what's in front of you, do it and then let go because you can't control the circumstances and you also and this was powerful for me you can't control the results you can only do you know it's like you know your mom used to tell you but like just do your best but there really is a lot of truth in that you just do what you can and then respond accordingly based on what happens mm-hmm. yeah i really like that because i think of like i don't know this is what came to my mind first so bear with me you have like a uh, a lock or a combination lock and the more numbers you have to input the harder it is to crack the code, right? So if you have two numbers, it's not too hard to fiddle around to figure it out if you don't know the code. But when you add a third, now the possibilities go up more and more. And so trying to think ahead too much, it actually it, it kind of locks you out of thinking because at this point, there's an infinite possibility because after step one comes step two. But step two could have 10 different possibilities and then those have another set of possibilities. And it just this infinite growing 
ball of, uh, I guess, thought can actually lock you out of just being present. Not to say it's not okay to think about things in the future, but whenever that becomes your solemn focus, like remember where you are and remember in this moment, like I liked, I liked the analogy of not standing on tiptoes. You're not constantly um, trying to peer over to the next thing as long, like, like I said, I, I guess I, I'm trying to remind myself like there's nothing inherently wrong with that so long as you also realize you're in this moment and those are all possibilities, but that isn't reality. And I feel like that's, that's a lot great. of what Christ was teaching. He's like, you know, there's a lot of uh, ifs, ands, buts, but there is only one moment. You know, all you have is the moment. All you have, mm-hmm. you know, God exists in the moment. You know, that's kind of the whole, he doesn't doesn't remember sin. You know, we talk about that a lot in church. God doesn't remember your sins. He won't even know them. You know, all that cute little Sunday school so stuff, right? <laughs> I hate that. It's like, wait, so what, you know, like you can't accept me as I really am because you forgot all the bad stuff I did. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Well, I I feel like it's interesting because whereas I, and not negatively, but where like you overthink things, I feel like I don't have that ability. My strength slash weakness is that I underthink things. And so I can't think 10 steps forward but sometimes I can't even like think one step forward. And I feel like that's where I have to like work on that. It's like, okay, I just need to get to this next moment. Whereas you're like already all the way over there. Yeah. <laughs> opposites. Yes. You know, opposites attractors. I yep. guess they say. Yeah. Do you mind if I just add one thing on that mm-hmm. last No, thing please do. do wanna, please do. Yeah. So I was, you know, one thing I wanted to qualify is a lot of times being in the moment means that what this moment requires of you is to prepare for what's next. Mm. Yeah. That's you know, good. Jesus talks about the man who was foolish and, you know, wanted to save up all this grain, but didn't, or the, not, not that that's the wrong one. Uh, the, the king who went to build the tower and then didn't have the resources or something. And so he fell short or the, you know, the, the women who went out to wait for the man returning, and didn't bring enough oil. So I think that being present does not mean you just forget the future. It means knowing, you know, okay, when do I really have to prepare for the future? And so anyway, I do wanted to add that because I think a lot of times it, it people can misunderstand and yeah. think that that's you good. just don't plan. So anyway, sorry to no, no, that's good. I, I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, and I guess really, um, my question is: so my my goal now is to go and read the Tao yep. or Tao Te Ching. Tao yes. Te Ching. You said those are interchangeable, correct? Tao Te Ching. Okay, got it. Uh, the the Chinese letter is yeah is somewhere in between the two. So. Okay, so yeah. my goal is to go and read the Tao Te Ching now. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> maybe we can re have another conversation on the other side of yeah, that because um, I'm sure we'll have plenty of questions yes. in that. <laughs> Uh, and I, I want to go listen to your show because you're going over every chapter, correct? I go pretty much chapter by chapter. One thing I'll recommend, though, if you're going to read it, Tao Te Ching is the most translated book in the world next to the Bible because the Chinese is so old and it's so poetic that you can read two different translations and sometimes get something that sounds totally different. So when I prepare for the show, I use something like 15 translations and three commentaries. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. um, but there's a, there's and some of them are so different. So um, if you want to read, I would recommend heading to my blog. Uh, this isn't just a plug, but going over to coryfar.com. There's a there's a uh, a page under the podcast dropdown that says sources and translations, and I've got a whole list of different resources, some free, some books that you can buy, and you can kind of explore a few and, and pick one that speaks to you. Um, I would recommend for your first time, don't try to read three at once. Just pick one and go with it. But um, yeah, so it, it's uh, if you ever hear me quote something or hear someone, you're like, where is that? Just know that it's an incredibly complex and kind of obscure text sometimes. So, but highly recommend you read it. And uh, please let me know. Uh, let me know what you're thinking. Yeah, I feel like Christians should be accustomed to that because the Bible's pretty <laughs> yes. much on par. Yep. Even though we're going to claim it's not, it is. Well, the translation. you have like churches that say, "I teach the Bible," and I'm like, "Which version?" <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but uh, so someone going in to read the Doubt Aging for the first time, what are some? Um, good things to go in with maybe mindsets, thoughts, or lack of thoughts? What are some good things to kind of take with you uh, into your your first initial dive into it? Well, my first dive, I had no expectations. Mm -hmm. All I knew is I was in this place and I had heard about this book that might help me be more present. And it, it was amazing. So you know, to be honest, it might be best to read the book before you <laughs> you listen to this interview. <laughs> uh, um, but I think I think the book kind of reads you as much as you read it mm-hmm. in some ways. 
So your response, your reactions, even the translation you choose is going to speak so differently to different people. And you're going to find different threads. You're going to see different things. And you can choose to read it all in one sitting. You can read it one chapter at a time and journal about each chapter, which is what I did. I know that's kind of a cliche biblical, you know, Bible study approach, but I did that. I would just say go in with an expectation that it will help you and be profound. But just like we've been talking about, don't come in with an idea of what that's going to look like for you because you may be surprised at what you find. There's lots of very, you know, there's lots of topics that I didn't cover that are very, you're like, wait, what? How did we get here? Why are you talking about, you know, like, <laughs> why are you talking about like a donkey now and stuff? You know, there's, there's kind of weird things. So, um, but it's, it's really cool. So very cool. Corey, do you have any uh, closing things you'd like to add to this conversation before we wrap things up here? No, I mean, we didn't get to talk about uh, Christian anarchism, but maybe we'll save that for next time. <laughs> yeah, I figured um, at but, this point in time, that might be a good one to say. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah, if you check out my blog, you'll see I'm a Christian anarchist, which is a lot more controversial sounding than it really Mm -hmm. is, but it's interesting how, um, how much, uh, Taoist way of thinking actually pairs with that. It's sort of a political theology or a a non-political theology, um, or maybe counter political theology. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, as far as final thoughts, you know, I hope this interview helped explain things, um, and, uh, or, or maybe just pique your interest and, go ahead and check out the show. But please know that my interpretation, my understanding, I do a lot of research, but it's definitely not the only way to read it. And I'm doing something very unique by taking this book totally out of its Chinese cultural and historical context. I got someone emailed me recently and kind of flamed me for doing this. Like, you're not talking about its context. You're not having, you know, uh, non-white Western voices on your show. You know, you're, you're basically saying, "Hey, I found this thing. Let me share it with you. This is what I learned." And I kind of responded, "Like, okay, I'm very, I'm very understanding of the impulse to push back against colonialism and sort of cultural appropriation, but also, literally, I say in the first episode, the point of this whole show is, hey, I found this thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look what I've learned. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not trying to talk about the context. So." There's different ways to study it. And I hope people know that I'm not trying to say this is how a Taoist or Buddhist monk from you know 400 BC would have read this book, or this is what that text really meant um, in that culture. So I do a lot of that though. And I still guess it wasn't enough for this individual. So yeah. So yeah. where can people find you online? Uh, my blog's at coreyfar.com. That's C-O-R-E-Y-F-A-R-R.com. I'm assuming there's a, a link in the show notes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the podcast, again, is just called A Christian Reads the Tao Te Ching. If you, I learned recently, if you start to Google A Christian Reads on your uh, podcast or your app store, the first podcast that comes up is A Satanist Reads the Bible. I don't <laughs> So Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is not me. Yeah. I don't know how that comes up. Um, so A Christian Reads the Tao Te Ching. And um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I have... Uh, I'm a musician. I have some stuff on Spotify as well. Not a whole lot, but um, yeah. So, and please, if you want to reach out, click on that contact button on my mm-hmm. blog. I'd be more than happy to respond. I always do. So, super cool. And we'll have links to all that yes, in the show notes. Absolutely. And uh, Corey, thank you so much for coming yes, and you. and helping to pique curiosity and a great introduction. Yes, and help educate <laughs> two you. people that have no idea yes. what that even was before your yes, email me. to us. So. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I look forward to more conversations that dive a little bit deeper. And so everyone go check out all of his work. Corey uh, is an amazing writer for everyone listening. I have been reading through a few of his blogs uh, this week and they're very thought filled or very um, knowledge filled, very researched out. Uh, That's a very uneducated way of saying that. But anyway, there's a lot of research (laughs) and time that go into these blogs. And I really, uh, as someone who, um, very much enjoys research myself. I, I'm very thankful for those. So I'm going to be using his stuff as a resource mm-hmm. <laughs> going oh, forward. And so wow. I would go check that out for sure uh, as well as his podcast. So, all right, Corey, thanks. Thank you. It was an honor. Corey, thank you again for being patient with us and uh, coming on and just sharing what you have learned with us that we can further our relationship with Christ through other understandings and other philosophies. And I learned a ton. I'm looking forward to learning even more. And guys, if you are listening to this, I would highly encourage you to go check out coreyfar.com. Listen 
uh, to his podcast, which is available there, and also read some of his blog posts because, like I said just a minute ago in the episode, they're very well done. So I would just I would highly encourage anyone who wants to further their understanding to go over there and do so. Also, once again, Nomads, a safe community for Christians ask unsafe questions. We would love to have you a part where we can carry on this conversation further. So be sure to head down to the show notes and ask to join. We love you guys. And as always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll We'll talk talk soon. soon.